Here's what's coming up on this episode of Fitz Nation. I sit down with Jeff Nowitzki to clear up the situation at UFC 284 with Islam Makachev and the talk about IV use with UFC fighters. Then, a few minutes with Erin Blanchfield. What a performance she had by beating Jessica Andrade on Saturday night. But first, I catch up with my good pal Safe Saud to chat about Ryan Spann and his upcoming main event and the return of John Jones. Safe Saud's back on my show. Fits in the general is the segment where we get to catch up after we do our other TV work. Safe, kind enough to keep his suit on and do my TV work. <laughs> hey, All right. Anything for you, yeah. my co-host. Oh, anything man. for you. I know you like that intro that we just fired, too. I do like fantastic. the I like the intro. I do. So, um, Ryan Spann fights this week in the main event against Nikita Krilov, but Safe was just saying how yeah, you don't like to dive deep into the details. No, I, I, don't, I don't like to go... I don't like to talk a lot before a fight just because um, you never know, number one. Number two is I don't like to put any undue stress on my guys uh, with anything I say or do. Yeah. And number three is, um, look, it's all the standard stuff, right? Nikita's tough as hell. Ryan's tough as hell. It's a tough test. I'm not going to talk about game plan and specific stuff, so it's more just the nod of the head. and Right. And, uh, yeah, Ryan's ready. and. He'll be ready to go. What can you tell me about the career arc of Ryan Spann, though? Because we saw him on the Contender Series, yeah. unsuccessfully come back successfully. And he's honestly, I mean, he's, I think he surprised some people with, like, how, how well he's done. Well, Ryan is one of the most athletically gifted fighters I've ever seen. But he also, he's been doing MMA for 10 years. Uh, I mean, he's got 27 pro fights or 26 i mean some crazy number of pro fights and he had a bunch of amateur fights so these guys man it takes them you know eight to ten years before they start to really kind of peak just like any other job mm -hmm. right when you get a mastery level uh and, you know we've talked about that with the, your tv stuff way back in the day when yeah. you were a young buck right now you don't even need notes you don't i need feel like notes. i'm just figuring it out yeah, now, that's right. by the way too that's right how old are you 40 40 you know and yeah. now you're getting a mastery level of your job and it's the same with these athletes. They get a mastery level uh, after about 10 years, and I feel like Ryan's getting into his prime and also understanding now the importance of putting the work behind it and what that means and, and what that entails. So I'm excited for his future. Uh, how do you describe his personality? Because we see him on the service, huge guy, 6'5", athletically gifted, like you just said, Superman span. But I feel like when it comes to the spotlight of a fighter, and like this main event rising the ranks, I feel like that's something where he's looking to break through and be as comfortable with that as anything he's else. He's pretty damn comfortable on is camera he, yeah. when he wants to be. Yeah. He's a really a lovable guy who knows who he is. Uh, it's not that he's shy. He just doesn't want to talk to people sometimes, you know? <laughs> yeah, mean, yeah. And I feel for a lot of these fighters, especially when the, yeah. the, the time where they want to get talked to the most yeah, is when it's the most difficult to talk to people. credit to Ryan is he, you know, he's developed some good rapport and relationship with a lot of the guys here, a lot of the staff, a lot yeah. of the, even the commentators and, and, uh, you know, he'll give them that, he'll give them that love, but it's more just of, you know, these guys, they're fighters, man. They want to fight. They don't want to talk, but Ryan's actually watch some of his, his, uh, post fights. I mean, he's actually a really funny super lovable guy mm -hmm. usually these the big guys 
are the sweetest guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Khalil Roundtree, like I just, I, I think the world of Khalil Roundtree and the type of personality that, that he is, and he's very easygoing and down to earth. And on fight week, it's like talking to a different person. I remember yeah. this with Paul Felder too. I stepped in an elevator with Paul Felder when he, on a fight week for him down in New Zealand. And he looked at me like he didn't even he know didn't who even I was. Know. Like because, he was looking through me. Yeah, because you're... You know, you're you're on a mission, man. You're it's you know, biologically it's weight cut, but yeah, then also yeah. other than yeah, hundred percent. You're focused and locked in on what you're trying to get done, and what you're trying to get done is is beat somebody up, you yeah. know, and get your hand raised. So you got a different energy fight week. There's a lot of stress, a lot of pressure, and, and you know that gets relieved when you see guys win. Even sometimes when guys lose, they don't. They're just happy it's over. Yes. With. So yes. Uh, yeah, a lot of different emotions going on. But Ryan is a is a guy that shines when the camera's on, uh, and and he can turn it on. Yeah, we just uh, got done with our show UFC Breakdown elsewhere on YouTube, so check that out, in which we preview John Jones and uh, Cyril Gaon. Yeah. What has surprised you about John Jones when you dove into the film? Man, just just the plethora of greatness that is there with John, and I mean, kind of reminding myself of all the incredible moments that this guy's had inside the octagon. You know, I mean, you, you know, we, we covered the Machida fight and the Vitor Belfort fight, all those fights when he was young in his tenure. And, uh, you know, uh, he overcame all those challenges all along the way, all the way up until, you know, even his most recent wins at light heavyweight that weren't as dominant, but he always finds a way to win. So yeah. um, I look for him to do the same thing. John Jones is a winner and he finds ways to win. Um, so, yeah, there's some controversy there too, but there's you know his, his record speaks for itself, and you just can't deny it. As a coach, I imagine he does a lot of things that are uncoachable. Like you see different things, and it's like yeah. only he does them. Yeah, yeah, it's it's true. The way he uses his length at 84 and a half inches, you know, we we broke that down with the way the oblique kicks, the front leg side kick, the reach, the constant touching to get his range. Um, they're unique to him, right, because of his length. But his skill and his fight IQ and really his tenacity and his will are really what, um, you know, you look at as a coach. I mean, the guy's a winner. You know, he won a national title when he was in college um, and uh, obviously one of the best fighters ever. Um, 15 title fights, this being the mm -hmm. 16th. The guy's a winner, man. He knows how to win and it's really not something you, you can teach. It's something that people have or they don't. Where do you fall in the greatest of all time conversation? I mean, you got to, my, my guy is GSP. I yeah. train with him. Yeah. He's the sweetest guy in the world. Probably one of the best people I've ever met. Uh, such a nice guy. Incredible character and integrity. And I thought he represented MMA with so much class and dignity. He, you know, rectified his losses. He got wins over my man, Matt Sarah. He got that back. And then obviously Matt Hughes. Uh, I just thought GSP, you know, he, he came back and got our guy, Mike. Uh, yeah. Even came, you know, and I think that kind of gets unheralded. Like, yeah. everyone's like, oh, yeah, whatever. It was just such a one off thing. Yeah, it was like, four whatever. years, one fight, like, and then dude, that's it. He beat Bisming. Bisming was whooping people's ass, and Bisming is, is as tough as they come and, and a competitor. So mine's GSP. He has no controversy, no, no controversy. Yes, yes. But you can't not look at John. You can't not look at John. You cannot not look at what he's done, and especially just going over it now you know 15 title fights right? yeah like it's incredible and he's never really lost the matt hamill thing was a dq <laughs> yeah right some close fights but again you know khabib i have so much respect for he's definitely in the lightweight goat mm -hmm. khabib mm -hmm. um but i would go you know you gotta go gsp john i don't know man it's, it's 
when you're in it especially like you're in the sport and then even for me that's around the sport all the time when it comes to greatest of all time conversations in any sport hard. I just put it away and I just go listen can yeah. you just acknowledge that these are the greats of all time 100%. put them in the conversation 100%. that's that there's not one answer yeah it's, it's the same for pound for pound like Islam and Volk and that whole thing well that's it's going a whole on. different story right 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 we won't go down that road <laughs> you just uh, since the last time on my show you, you coached a world champion Brandon Moreno. Brandon, yeah, yeah. Brandon Moreno. How would you describe what it was like for you, first time in the corner, lead corner of a title fight, uh, and all that was at stake? Uh, you know, I've, I've been, that was my 80th UFC win, mm-hmm. and uh, made a lot of walks. Uh, made walks as a fighter, made tons of walks, obviously, as a coach. And, you know, I really don't get nervous anymore for any of that. But I'll tell you what, title fight? You get a little bit of nerves. And uh, us fighting in Rio, uh, uh, you know, this was probably the biggest, one of the biggest title fights ever. When are you going to get four, a fourth fight, a quadrilogy? Never happened before. With a one, one, and one right. record, which all the fights were so razor close. I mean, you're, you, the scenario, and then we're fighting the guy in his hometown in Rio. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of pressure, but we, we prepared, man. We were very prepared, and Brandon executed the game plan perfectly, and... Uh, and left no no doubts and, mm-hmm. and undisputed, you know. So very what, very proud of him. What did you learn? Like, what did you walk away and being like, wow, that was a new thing for me? Uh, it's just the preparation, you know, um, the preparation and the level of preparation for for five, and the and, and also, you know, you cannot make mistakes um, when you're fighting that level of opposition because one mistake, you know, can spell disaster, and I can do that in any fight, but. You know, especially when you're fighting the very, very best in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, him and Figgy knew each other so well, we knew that they were going to be well-versed. So, you know, he came up with a good strategy and a very good game plan. And, and Brandon listened, man. He listened so well. I mean, you've never seen Brandon not throw, not get, you know, he didn't throw any punches. He never got wild or anything. He was so disciplined. And a disciplined Brandon Moreno is a dangerous Brandon Moreno. So I'm excited about his future. What's been the communication with you guys since then? Oh, we talk all the time. I mean, I love that You expect that to be in his corner again? Oh, absolutely. He's going to come yeah. to uh, Dallas. and um, Yeah, no, we've already had all those conversations. Oh, nice. And uh, he was very grateful and thankful and gave me tons of love in the press conference. And he said, I know Coach doesn't want any credit, but he deserves a lot. And he said, now i got to come to Dallas. You know, i got to I, I got to spend <laughs> do my time. Do it the right way. Yeah, yeah, do it the right time. training him this week okay. as well. Yeah. Um, so, no, Brandon's been great, but... You know, he had some injuries and stuff. He needs to let him heal. And uh, obviously, his knee injury was well documented, if you watch yeah. that documentary. Um, and uh, he was banged up going on that fight, but we got it done. I like how you said after, too, when as soon as he stepped off the bottom stair, they're like, what's next? Yep. And you're just like, can we chill? Man, it but just, it is the fight it game, just isn't it? It's just never the next ends, thing. You know, like, you don't even have a second to digest, you know, the mountain that you climb. It's already, hey, look at the next peak. And... And, uh, you know, I mean, that's the fight business. That's the way it is. And that's just the way it is by nature. And I knew that when I was a fighter. And that's why, you know, I was like, man, this is just a never-ending thing, you know. Yeah. And um, it never ends. And uh, it, it's a stress that these guys live with and girls live with and they deal with. And they deal with it really, really well with a lot of class. And I think people don't understand how much duress these guys and girls are under, under those lights, man. And the embarrassment that can happen and all the other things that they're thinking about that they handle with uh, mostly handle with grace and grace yeah yeah thanks Dave. absolutely 
Always a pleasure. Okay, Jeff. What happened with Islam? Is that an easy question or is that a hard question? I think it is. I think the Australian Commission put out a statement last night saying there's no credible evidence that of him violating any of their rules. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think I'd leave it at that. Do you think it's a... It brings up a bigger issue with IVs. And you just cleared it up for the fighters. What's the situation with IVs? Absolutely. So, unfortunately, it's not an, it's not an, an easy thing to explain. It's a little bit complicated. There's multiple layers. Let's start with the UFC USADA rules. So, in 2019, we manipulated our rules slightly uh, to allow IV use if a medical situation is diagnosed by a physician and the IV was administered by a medical professional, nurse, EMT, or a doctor. The reason we did that is we were running into instances where fighters were out of competition, they didn't have a fight scheduled or were well out from their fight, and got the flu. Went to the doctor's office and the doctor says, hey, you're really dehydrated. I think an I a bag or two of IV would benefit you. Um, in the old days, you couldn't do that. You'd have to actually go admit yourself to a hospital and that's changing a $50 copay and uh, potentially thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. So that's why we changed the rule for a medical diagnosis and administered by a medical professional. However, when it comes to fights, when it comes to fight weeks especially, the rules are two-tiered. There's the UFC USADA rules and there's, always, there's also the commission rules. And you know, without exception, every single commission where we go fight would require specific permission from that commission and their doctors specifically to allow an IV use. And you know, what I just told the fighters is there's absolutely no guarantee. In fact, it's probably likely that the commission will be pulling the fight if you have a diagnosed medical condition that requires an IV. Going back to Islam and Perth, the Western Australia uh, Combat Commission, they have a specific rule that IVs are banned completely for rehydration purposes. So it wouldn't matter the volume, wouldn't matter if there was a medical professional involved, Perth bans those IVs. Uh, but again, they put out a statement last night that they had no credible evidence of, of an IV being administered. And so where did it come from? It came from there was a bruise on his arm? Yeah, I think, like where you know, the I think there, was some, there was some photos floating around. Yeah. Um, what I don't think a lot of people realize, especially the Australian athletes, because they weren't subject to this, but all non-Australian athletes that week gave a blood draw on Wednesday as part of their pre-fight physical. And I think if you look, you know, at pictures thereafter, you saw a small Band-Aid, you know, on the arm. And then as that day progressed, Wednesday and Thursday, the, bru the bruising grew from that exact same spot. I would imagine, too, if a fighter's cutting weight, more likely to bruise maybe for something like that? Yeah, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but you, you mentioned cutting weight. And yeah. the idea of a Wednesday or a Thursday, a fight week right. of getting an IV is contrary to everything these fighters are trying to do. Yeah. You're dropping sodium, you know, that last day or two in order to drop that water. And a bag of, you know, saline, you know, is probably going to put you in a position where you're unable to cut that water weight. It's, it's not the time you'd be using an IV. I feel like... Uh you're, you and your department, you and Donna and everybody under you do such an exceptional job of explaining things. Only for people like me, I try not to be this, but for the media world to take something and run against it. So I appreciate you being friendly to me since I'm the enemy that always lets rumors spiral out of control. But honestly, like, how do you fight that? You're fighting that constantly of yeah, like, absolutely. what's truth? <laughs> 
what what is in headlines and what actually happened absolutely you know the thing and we did this from the get-go is this this program is as transparent as you can get what other professional sport you know can you go online and read every single rule for an anti-doping program mm -hmm. what other professional sport can you go online and see what athletes are being tested when there's there's literally nothing that's being hidden here and you know as you saw here today all an athlete or a coach or support would have to do to find out the answer is just ask the question and you know we pride ourselves also on media we're not hiding behind anything here mm -hmm. I, you know there's issues i've regularly been out in front of a camera or a mic explaining what the issue is um, so there's nothing going on, you know, in, in back rooms or anything. Everything's out front, both with the rules and what we're doing here. I mean, they made a documentary about you. Uh, which one? Well, the 25 oh, year yeah, thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was, it was cool. Yep, and sure. they showed how you know how to shoot a gun. <laughs> so you really better be on your P's and That's Q's. right. That's right. I was in a... My old days, I was an accountant with a gun. That was actually the, the hiring motto for the IRS criminal investigation where I worked. I was in college, I was an accounting major, wasn't sure if I wanted to be a CPA, and went to a job fair, and the headline was be an accountant with a gun. I'm like, hell yeah, that's something that I can get behind right there. So you like that, like, do you shoot? Like, you don't need to now. Yeah, not as, you know, I, for 23 years, I was mandatory, I'd go shoot every quarter, you know, all day long, my, my fingers would be sore from loading up magazines. So in the seven to eight years since I've left, no, I've, I haven't you shot all that, that much. Behind. Don't miss it so much. So yeah. Sure. yeah. Um, what do you think the next bastion is of what you guys are working on? Because things are always evolving. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the, the main thing we're working on in our program is to make this program easier for our athletes, to make it more convenient, because we say this all the time. And this is the reason we give out these, you know, 50 jackets or 25 shirts, and we've actually got some 75 tests coming up now. It is a tremendous burden on the athlete to report where you're going to be every day of the year so that USADA can find and test you. I mean, that's a big responsibility, and it just takes one day to forget to, to update that. And so we're constantly challenged with athletes we know aren't trying to cheat or break a rule with staying on top of where they are. What we really want to do is, through technology, make that more convenient to the athlete, where they literally don't even have to think about it. You know, we, we piloted a program a few years ago with GPS yeah. that athletes could, uh, they could choose to opt into that program. And many said, I don't care if you know where, you saw it, if you know where I am 24-7. Yeah. If I don't have to, you know, think about this, come follow me. Um, it didn't work out exactly, but, you know, we're pushing them for something uh, along that standard so that the athlete has less and less responsibility and kind of not think about things. What about like a microchip, like a dog? Yeah. <laughs> It's interesting, you know, I think the holy grail of anti-doping would be a wearable device that absorbs bodily fluid, sweat. Uh -huh. And that the thought is everything that you ingest or exposed to gets excreted out eventually in your sweat or your urine. So that this device, tamper-proof, you know, you take it off once every month or two and we'll be able to chronicle literally everything that you put in yourself. That, that would be the holy grail, but I don't think we're there yet. But as a fellow person, human being who lived before the internet does that freak you out a little bit at yeah. the same time <laughs> well i mean what freaks me out is the, the level of detection that the labs that we use can get down to yeah and I, I just told the card here but it's you know the picogram word is in the news you know in years past but it's one part per trillion if i laid a trillion of something out on the floor here 
and one of those trillion was a prohibited substance, the labs that we use can detect that. So the best way to kind of conceptualize that and get your mind around it, Olympic size swimming pool. So what, 50 meters yeah. by 25, 10 meters deep, one single grain of salt in that pool, one grain dispersed overnight. USADA comes the next morning, gets a cup of that water and they can detect that one grain of salt. And it's fantastic in terms of extending, you know, the detection times if an athlete were to use something. But the issue that it presents to us is a lot of athletes are being caught up in this that aren't intentionally trying to cheat, that used, you know, a contaminated supplement, that ate some contaminated meat for a certain country. It becomes an issue. And I say, you know, Don and I, more than half of our time spent on this program is spent on cases where we believe the athlete didn't intentionally do anything. It's, it's a huge challenge. What would you say are the chances, to put it in layman's terms, uh, an everyday person that goes to the gym, maybe they take a few sports supplements, protein shakes, eat a normal diet, like what are the chances that they would fail at the shot of drug test? High. We've often talked about this and, and we should. We thought, let's test all the UFC employees. Like I'd fail one right now. Probably. You know, these supplements, and I recommend this to the general consumer, non-athlete too. Dietary supplements in this country and other countries throughout the world, there's no pre-market government review. So not FDA approved, not FDA approved food is has pre-market review supplements don't you and I can go out back and dig some dirt up underneath a tree, put it in a bottle and go right to GNC and put it on the shelves. It's not until after it's harmed a consumer that the government gets involved with supplements. So the things that all of us are taking, if we're taking non-tested, non-certified supplements, yeah, you're subject to all kinds of contaminants. Uh, USADA maintains a website called the High Risk List where they list supplements that they found were contaminant and they're contaminated and there's hundreds of them on there constantly being added every day. You feel like you could come up with like some mega money making supplement because you just know like how it goes? That I don't know. There's a lot of people marketing. In the industry. Yeah, it's a lot, a lot of marketing and you know who you get in the magazine picture or supplement label. Which labels. is also Some, a funny conversation for its own. What's that? Now? Well, sometimes they take the before and after photos like an hour apart. Exactly. Different lighting, a different spray label, paint, a little tanning, spray tan. Cream. Exactly. Awesome, Jeff. Um, what are you like 6'10? Six, 6'7. Six, so like you look down on all those people that cheat. Yeah, I mean, look, I, you know, in a program like this, where again, we're so transparent, I, I mean, literally and figuratively, I guess you could say, but yeah. on, on you the, got the uh, joke at <laughs> the little side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, all of our rules are publicly posted. I mean, we have one of the most well-publicized programs in sports. Those UFC fighters that are trying to break the rules despite you know, our program and the comprehensiveness of it, I, I really have no sympathy for. Um, but on the other side, those that get caught up in it, they weren't trying to do something and innocently took a contaminated product, I do have sympathy for and you know, we're there yeah. for them to support them and try to figure out the answers. Your phone's like going off it like is. crazy. That's, that's is all that, day long with me, so. Is that all like, like every time it rings, somebody cheated? Per, no, it's pretty much every time it rings, it's somebody with a question about <laughs> the program. God bless you, you John. That was the best. Thanks for the time on you this one, man. All right, my man. <laughs> Thank you. Anytime. How do you like the spotlight? Oh, I've been loving it so far. Yeah. What do you like about it? Um, yeah, I mean. Like, is it in your nature to seek attention and to like enjoy that? I don't know about necessarily my nature to seek attention. I think it's just more like I know I, I wanted to be at this level and I know what the kind of like that entails, I guess, with yeah. like media or like that kind of thing. So I feel like I've always kind of like, I guess, like seen it coming. So now it's kind of just like 
just kind of like here, you know? Part of it. Part of it, yeah, yeah. But I just is there, enjoy is it. Is there a part of you that's like trying to figure out the social media game and like the other side of MMA? Um, it's definitely a little bit. I feel like, I mean, on social media, I don't want to be like, I guess like fake on things. Like I post, like I guess I feel. I feel like some people think overthink it or they're not kind of like authentic, I guess, in that sense. I, kinda, I, I always liked people that are kind of just true to themselves and I, I try to follow that. Yeah. Yeah. Try to do New Jersey proud. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Born in New Jersey, right? Uh, born in New York, actually. Born in New York. Yeah, yeah. But I was raised in New Jersey. So, yeah. Are you proud that you're from New Jersey? Yeah, definitely. I'd say I feel like I'm. I was kind of almost raised with both because both my parents are from New York. So, like every weekend, and we live very close to the city. So, like every weekend, we'd be in New York, same family. And I grew up in Jersey, so I feel like I'm kind of part of both. Yeah. You know, um, and I'm definitely proud to be from. So there. your parents are from New York, mm -hmm. but they raised you in Jersey. Yeah, they both. So do they even like you? <laughs> people, yeah. why do people from New so, York not like people from New Jersey? I don't really know. My parents, like, their reason coming to Jersey is so they wanted a house. Like, they both grew up in apartments and stuff their whole life, and they wanted uh, to have, like, a home for, like, for themselves and for, like, me and my brother when they had kids. Um, I think people from New York to see, like, anything outside the city is kind of, like, country life, you know? Yeah. Because I know, like, a lot of, like, even, like, my family members will think, like, anything literally that's not, like, a filled with buildings is kind of, like, the country or something. So I think that's kind of what they think. Uh what do you think is a great part about being from New Jersey? Um, a great part of being from New Jersey. I mean, I think for, especially for me, because I'm, I'm a professional athlete, I think there's so many athletes from New Jersey. I think it's such like an athletic culture. Like everyone grows up, like, yeah, you go to school, but it's like, you always do a sport. Like there's no like not doing a sport, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I think especially for what I do, like such a big wrestling culture and even just boxing, like from New York and New Jersey, like there's so much of that culture um, in New Jersey. Yeah, so. Who's your New Jersey hero? I definitely say Frankie Edgar, you know. Frankie. Yeah. The yeah. guy. Yeah. You've sure. been watching his career all the way up because you've been a UFC fan for a long time. Yes, I definitely have. Like, my dad uh, was always a big UFC fan, even before like, I was. Like, I started training, but I wasn't so into watching the fights. Uh, but we would always watch him because my dad would be like, oh, he's from New Jersey. He's from right around yeah. here. And I always thought it was cool. Are you taller than him? I think I am. <laughs> yeah, I've met him a couple times. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I mean, it is what it is. I mean, he's still a great fighter. Yeah. He's done what he's done despite that. So. How about I list some things about New Jersey and yeah. you tell me if you're proud or not proud? Okay, okay. Megan O'Leavy. Oh, proud. She's from New Jersey? Yeah. I know. Oh, I didn't know that. You didn't know that? No, I didn't. She's That's like funny. a legend. Yeah, no, I know she is, but I didn't realize she's from New Jersey. That's so funny. Uh, yeah. Jim Miller. Oh, proud. Yeah. The New York Jets. I'm not a big football fan, but I'll, I'll say proud. Proud of the Jets? Yeah, sure. Yeah. You claim them as your own since they, they yeah. practice over there. Yeah. And they play over there. <laughs> what about Snooki? Maybe not on the Jersey Shore, but I think she's trying to like change her ways now. So maybe not proud. Did so you watch like the Jersey Shore? How about this? My, my Jersey Shore. When I say the words Jersey Shore, does that make you proud or not proud? I love the shore, so I'd say proud. I feel like people maybe have their own opinions about it, but um, but it's not all what people think. How old were you when Jersey Shore came out? Oh, I was in like grade school. Like I remember my parents wouldn't even let me watch it. Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. what not to aspire to. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, what about The Sopranos? Oh, I like The Sopranos, the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah proud. <laughs> so you're yeah. in favor of organized crime? No. But I, I like the show. I'm with you. <laughs> Aaron, best of luck. 
Thank you. We're very excited that you're uh, one of these blossoming prospects in the UFC. Thank you. Thanks for joining <laughs> me with this. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Being a good sport. Thanks. Megan Olivi's from New Jersey. No.